Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 205. You guys aren't even good liars. This week we're discussing season 4, episode 4 of Angel, Slouching Toward Bethlehem, and season 4, episode 5 of Battlestar Galactica, The Ties That Bind. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, switching back to Angel uh, with slouching toward Bethlehem. Um, so we wanted to start with a couple of production, sort of production notes, I guess. Um, the first yeah. one being the, the, the title, which is a significant, famous quote, um, which... I think maybe we can come back to later if we have more to say about it, but I think the most interesting part that kind of jumped out to us was um, the fact that it comes from a poem that's been referenced recently in Buffy um, mm-hmm. with Tara's famous speech about things fall apart so hard. Yeah. Um, they're both coming from, from Yates, so um, kind of there's not a specific link between the episodes like nobody makes reference to the fact that like oh these are like there's nothing in the text that kind of tells you that these are linked other than you know people knowing that poem and it being very famous and well known but there is a kind of we I remember remarking on the foreboding of that at the time of how even though it was a moment of coming together of Willow and Tara, still the fact that it quotes the second coming gives it this kind of doomed feel, which uh, did end up bearing fruit, unfortunately. Um, So, I mean, this one is more obviously kind of uh, worrisome because it, 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 Lauren uses the quote in connection to the bad thing that's, coming whatever that is but um still there's that sense of apocalypse and all the kind of antichrist and war and destruction and all the things that sort of come with that so sure and one other little layer there and i i mean like you said we can talk about it more kind of in the appropriate place within our discussion but um it's kind of cordy's second coming as well right like i know that's not really how lauren talks about it but Mm -hmm. there is an aspect of this like that this is lordy lordy (laughs) cordy uh come back again you know from her own sort of ascension previously so um just kind of a another little uh, yeah uh piece of of going on there you know whatever mm-hmm. whatever for whatever that's worth um yeah but yeah um i don't if i had to guess and i i've not seen anything one way or the other on this um but if i had to guess i would suspect that they were just sort of referenced independently um mm-hmm. i especially i mean tara's is a little looser of a connection mm-hmm. although like you said there is a it's more of a like you said of a sense of foreboding 
and not so much like maybe specifics of like what the poem is talking about or or whatever it just kind of has that general sense of uh like as a reference there's you know something going on here that we don't really know what's going to happen until you know it then does happen in the like Mm. next episode um but like even like like both in universe like it's not like anyone you know like like that was a private thing that tara said to willow and then like she died right Mm -hmm. so it's like tara's not like giving that to anyone else like in the buffy verse and like willow's not because she's like goes all angry and veiny and then when she recovers from that like leaves for england um outside the universe like i don't i mean there's definitely crossover with the writers and stuff like it's like they're literally on like different floors of the same building you know Mm -hmm. and stuff but like i don't know that they necessarily were like hey we're referencing this poem like are you guys referencing it too like wouldn't that be like i don't know that there's like that level of yeah thing in there like i i just feel like it just happens to be like hey in both these situations albeit different situations with their own kind of separate things going on this poem just kind of works and maybe that's more a testament to the poem as like mm-hmm. you know you know whatever message it has like it doing it well <laughs> mm-hmm. um but I, I wouldn't necessarily think that there's a connection per se, other than, like you said, like they just, they're both referencing the same poem. Um, yeah. So. No, I think that's probably a smart, a smart bet. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. And, and with Tara, it's more a sense of like, uh, with things fall apart, just that good situations tend toward, destructive things over time kind of naturally mm-hmm. you know that there are good things but eventually they can't help but fall apart whereas with Lorne like you said it's more referencing a specific event that he's intentionally making reference to and so even there his point is more specific and and therefore the quote the quotation is more specific too, that he's deliberately invoking uh, the that language and those associations rather than kind of saying a truth which is almost similar to a, a poem that we know. So mm. so the the circumstances are are different, but um but yeah worth kind of pointing out, I guess. Um, and so the other, the only other production note we had was about the writer you wanted to mention. Yeah. So this episode is um, written by Jeffrey Bell, who um, I think we've already mentioned a couple of times. It takes over um, from David Greenwald as showrunner for this season um, and, and next season. Um, and so um, we talked, I think, more in context of the episodes that he doesn't write, which is the, the first and last episodes of the season. Um, but this mm-hmm. is his first episode this season. And I think we can, um, he, you know, as it sort of tends to make sense, although it's not 100% true all the time, uh, he's 
writing more episodes um, this season than I think any other individual writer or, or like co-writing. Like he's got a couple um, where he, co- you know, has code credits with a few people, but mm-hmm. um, you know, he's got uh, three that he writes on his own and two others that he's co-writing. So that's, you know, again, a little, you know, more influence over uh, what's kind of going on this season than, than yeah. others. Um, so, uh, you know, with that in mind, just thinking that this is pretty heavily important for, like, the arc of the season, because um, those tend to be where, what the showrunners are writing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not always, not 100% of the time, but I think with the points, sure. like, we, you know, like Lauren gives, and, and obviously Cordy coming back, I mean, she comes back at the end of last episode, but this is where she's really coming back and kind of trying to figure things out. And a lot of it's really kind of from her perspective um, mm-hmm. in the episode. So, you know, kind of thinking of it that way too, of like what's sort of the significance of that and, and where are we going? Right, like the big tentpole episodes and everything that are that are structurally kind of the markers you need to hit throughout the season. Those are the ones that the showrunners are tending to yeah. take on themselves. Um, cool. So I guess we should start with the beginning because we get this little intro with Connor, um, kind of setting up his situation before he pops up later in the episode, Mm -hmm. um, kind of letting us know what he's up to. Uh, and so we see him helping this family with a broken down car and from a vampire attack, he's sort of out there kind of doing the the sort of a Buffy vigilante thing of just kind of hanging around looking for innocent victims who might be menaced by vampires and is kind of there to rescue them if should they need it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, having some, even though he's got these issues, these daddy issues, there's still that champion chip off the old block kind of aspect to him. He hasn't like gone dark or anything, Um, or at least not darker than he was already. Like he hasn't fled to the dark side or he's not hiding away and keeping his skills under wraps. He's not hanging out with like dangerous bad guys. He's kind of, just being a loner, but this crusader, you know, who's looking for people to protect and everything. Um, so, and gives a kind of wistful glance to the family that shuns him and then sort of is afraid and, you know, goes away. He's, uh, you know, the family he can't have of his own. Right. Right. The the kind of Peter Pan part of that. Like the th- I mean, now it's not the same because he could have a family. It's just dad kicked him out. Um, well, I mean... He could potentially have that family restored. It's like, it's not part of his nature that he can't have a family. But he's estranged from it from the, for the time sure. being anyway, I guess. Fair enough. Yeah, um, well, and then, so... Right, he takes it to the next level, though, because he does kind of go back to them <laughs> to, like, spy on them. Right, and, like, hide in the in the hotel. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, where, of course, he sees Corbin. Yes. And then, the you know, we kind of shift viewpoint there. Um, right. Right. And pick up where, um, where we left off. Uh, with her back, inexplicably, with no... Yeah. reference or explanation of any kind and even at the end of the episode we still don't have yeah so i'll just i'm not even really gonna bother speculating about about that too much because we literally get no reference to reason i don't think any reason why she's no i there's either left or been kicked out we have no information about I mean, that I, at all yeah i i think that's pretty deliberate like we don't yeah, yeah. know, and it, it's like I think the writers want it that way. So yes, it's going right. to be a Intent while. intentionally so. Yeah, yeah, it's going to yeah. be a little while before we kind of get that information, if right. if we ever do really get it, if at all. Yeah, which you know, to be honest, I, I expect that we'll get it eventually. But on the other hand, um. I don't necessarily know that because I feel like there's a certain amount of um, conclusions that seem to be taken for granted by either the characters or the writers. I'm not quite sure hmm. where the line is here. Of I mean, I know Angel kind of used the... Um, what was it? The... the the magical sort of device that he used to get answers about where she was that gave him a certain amount of information that gave him the sure. piece to sort of let it go or whatever. Um, but on the other hand, I kind of feel like, I guess I was maybe expecting or anticipating a bit more insight into uh, the nature of her situation, which we didn't really get. Um, and then we kind of like, jump to this episode where she's back and you know they're saying things like oh you were this omniscient and all-powerful divine higher being who was fighting for the forces of good and it's like do we know that <laughs> i still don't feel like we really know that other than that that's what angel has sort of pieced together and what he's telling us and so i guess we have to kind of go on that as of now but we never really saw anything from the audience point of view. Like we don't really know what she did or what she was up to. And she's in no position to tell us here. So sure. it kind of makes me wonder to what extent will we ever get real ideas of what, or is it meant to just be sort of vague and abstract and kind of divine, whatever. Um, or is there information that's being held back for a reveal later on? And I don't, you don't have to answer the question one way or the other, but that's kind of. Yeah. I mean, I think so as far as the assumptions about like where Cordy was, I think we are supposed to sort of take that based on, you know, Angel's, Every, whatever the name of that device was like you said like i think we're supposed to sort of take that as like that's that's true like he used a mystical device like there's no reason to believe that like 
it lied to them, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, however he used it, that information, I think we can sort of take at face value. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, as far as, like, how she got from there back to here, like, we don't, we don't know. And I don't, I mean, I remember Broad Strokes. Um, mm-hmm. as far as, like, what happens the rest of the season, I don't remember if that, if, like, the specific mechanism is ever sort of explained. Um, sure, and less mechanism and more motivation. Like, to me, sure. I guess a big, a big, maybe the big question is, is was it a choice? Was it voluntary? Or yeah. was she expelled for some reason? Or, or either drawn out or kicked out or 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 was it her yeah her decision to come back down yeah i mean i think without without giving anything away like you know some of that may be tied to like her amnesia and stuff and so if sure if maybe she starts remembering things then maybe some of it will come out there or right at least enough to like make a sort of educated guess about mm-hmm. it. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily want to say like how things were shaken out or whatever. So I'll just kind of no, that. no, and I that that's the ongoing mystery. So yeah, I don't expect any uh, any hard and fast answers at this point. Um. So yeah, so about her amnesia, um. She doesn't remember anything. I mean, like, not nothing. She's not, like, without... Right. It's not like she's this feral creature that doesn't know, like, I don't know, what a telephone is or something. It's like, or, but... Or but even, it's, like, Angel when he came back, right? At the beginning of right, season three. Right. Right. It's not like that. It's She's not starting from square one of, of humanity. But... Anything that's specific to her life and memories is what is, um, is what's missing. Or, or so, like, and not just them, but like memories of herself too, like her, her life, her personality, her experiences, um, all that kind of thing. The more I think about it, we have even more examples, right? Because there's also like Buffy at the beginning of season six, right? Like right. coming back and like being sort of dazed but like not that she doesn't remember stuff she just thinks that she's in hell versus yeah. you know being in heaven where she was which you right. know, we learn later but um it's not even that like like buffy knew who she was and like what she had been and kind of who her friends were and stuff but like just didn't believe like what dimension she was in or whatever mm-hmm. And so um, it's different than that as well. It seems right. like anyway, like there's, yeah, there's something of a lot. And so, um, no, she doesn't have any of the like wildness that, that Buffy or Angel did yeah. when they came back from these sorts of interdimensional experiences. Um. So yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know how much you want to go through like the specific things they kind of ask her about and, and 
you know, they try to tell her, you know, about who they are and what they do and kind of mm-hmm. on a surface level, obviously, like they kind of protect her or hide from her, you know, mm-hmm. um, stuff. And so she's kind of left to draw different conclusions, like thinking she's a spy or a mother or, you mm-hmm. know, like all of these like little things kind of that go on. But like in doing that, um, there's kind of some funny, but like weird stuff that happens too, right? Like, um, I love like her reading through her like old uh, yearbooks and stuff, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, what about that big snake? And it's just like, like reading that like out of context, just totally, yeah. yeah like, what what are you supposed to do with that? Like, maybe she thinks it was like a biology experiment or you know pet or something that went wrong right you're not thinking like snake demon you know mm-hmm. evolved from the mayor kind of thing right just kind of wondering like what those types of things are um right which kind of makes me think like the amnesia is weirdly like specific like that it's not like her every memory is erased like she knows what high school is she knows what going to homeroom is it's what's What's missing is all of the supernatural aspects of her life. So high school, cheerleader, popular, went to homeroom, graduation, that all makes sense. It's the the pieces about school burning to the ground and giant snakes and sure. vampires and all that kind of thing that is, you know, this, which I, kind of makes me, if I'm... I'm going to stop trying to speculate, but like, that's what makes it feel more like a, like a deliberate kind of your memory's been erased in a specific way rather than a kind of the natural kind of byproduct, which felt more like with Buffy and Angel of, oh, they've been through a traumatic experience. And so they're their whole brains and their references got kind of temporarily scrambled for a bit. Um, Whereas Cordy's feels like she never really like freaks out. I mean, until like weird things start happening and then she's disconcerted by them. But even like in her amnesia, she's very kind of calm and together and it doesn't seem to have any reason to think weird things might be happening until they start sort of happening around her. Um. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I never really thought about it that way that it's maybe some of the more magical stuff, or I mean, even like people, but it's like people that she knows because of like her involvement with magic and, you know, supernatural mm-hmm. things. Or whatever. Um, yeah. I don't, I mean, that could be part of it. Um, another question, which I think Fred sort of asks um, about, like, her ability. Um, mm-hmm. I forget what it is she, that, that it is that they even um, bring up, but Fred, Fred, I think it is, like, can, can she do that? Like, is that, like, there's still the question of, like, does mm-hmm. she have the same, like, half-demon powers that she had? when she left like is she still gonna get visions is she still some sort of conduit for the higher powers or is this 
them sending her back and like taking all of that away from her at the same time. Like we don't see right. any evidence. Like we see her fighting, but that mm-hmm. could just be she's fighting. Like that like there's no like supernatural aspect mm-hmm. to her anymore that we've seen in this episode. Mm-hmm. Like maybe maybe there will be, maybe she just doesn't know how to use it. Um right. or access it or whatever. But yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really noticed that. Um Yeah, and her grasp of her powers was always pretty like intuitive anyway. So rather than intentional. Right. Um, so I would imagine that if they're in there, they're going to come out. Some, some situation will bring them out naturally. But they um, don't, they don't come out when like Wolfram and Hart. She gets attacked. Her. Right. Her. Right. So there's, which I mean, I think they only really came out in like, I, I, I'm not a hundred percent on this, but like, I think they really only came out before when, when, um, it was like demons or you know something mm. was going on there where it was like you know she or someone else was gonna die right like and then mm-hmm. she kind of glows and things happen um mm-hmm. she, yeah uh she glows and knows stuff um <laughs> but anyway so uh yeah like maybe it just like maybe there's not something dire enough to sort of cause the intuitive response like you said um right you know to happen so it's it like it's not yeah maybe we can't be 100 percent sure that they're gone like her demony powers or whatever but we at least don't see them uh in this episode so it's hard to say right right i mean she certainly doesn't know she has them uh it seems like like if she's forgotten all the other magical stuff this is, right. This is among the things that she forgot about. Yes, although um, when Angel does kind of tell her everything, is is that among them that she was like this? Because she kind of lists off all the weird things and then kind of says like how it, nobody would want to remember or know this stuff anyway. Um, I feel like wasn't her part demon nature part of that list or did he leave it out now i'm not sure um and i didn't write down the quote to check which is not helpful because that's very much like that's very much a concern of this episode is um the the keeping of secrets and vital information which is oh she uh i so she goes i was a cheerleader a princess and a warrior and i have visions and superpowers and i'm the target of an evil law firm because i've spent the last three months living in a higher plane fighting for the forces of good who wage a battle against uh demons and evil using squishy bugbears. so she makes a vague reference to visions and superpowers yeah um, Which, I mean, these, but these are all things that she says, I have visions and superpowers, but that's based on Angel hmm. telling her that she has those things. But right. we don't see them, so 
does she still have them? Right. We don't know. Right. Possibly. But maybe not. Well, and, at least he, I mean, and at least he doesn't leave that aspect out of it. That's what I was wondering because um, so much of this episode is about him keeping things from her and kind of deciding when, what is the right information and when and in what order and what is the best presentation for all of these things that are too scary to find out and all these things. Um, and, uh, like she, her line about, he was like, oh, I thought the truth would scare you. And, oh, the secrets and lies have been so comforting. Like, that's like very much, if not like the tagline for the show, at least like that's a like very prominent theme is, especially with Angel himself, um, is the kind of damage that's done by keeping secrets that you think are for probably good reasons and for what seem like the, the, the good of everybody and for the protection of somebody. Um, and that kind of leading to disastrous results, um, both because people are missing crucial information that might've helped them. And also just in the breakdown of the trust. Um, sure. And like, not, I mean, Cordy certainly called on, called him on that before. So it's not like it never bothered her until now, but at least before there was a relationship and a trust, which allows people to, if you break the trust, there's something to cling on to of, you know, each other, you can, you can forgive, you can understand somebody's reasons and their motivations and kind of get over it. Whereas like here with her not remembering or knowing him at all, once he kind of is revealed to be lying to her about like everything, um, there's really nothing else that is a reason for her to trust him after that. It kind of, that's the, the deal breaker. Which, you know, kind of hard to blame her. Like, if you had your memory wiped and just met random people that you didn't realize you had all these really strong relationships with, and you're kind of presented with what looks like a sneaky, lying person, you know, what is there, what can she appeal to other than her experience of these people that she's kind of meeting for the first time again. Um, and in the situation as she's presented it, one group is hiding things um, and, you know, not telling her the, the truth as, as it seems. Um, yeah. And then to kind of jump ahead to Connor, you know, at least from where she, her point of view is, he's seeming like this, this honest truth teller who is sort of living apart from everyone because he kind of has it right. And they're all, you know, trying to deceive her. So I guess, but so here, here's kind of my problem. Like, yeah. 
I get what they're doing and what they're saying and, and kind of um, the way that Cordy's character reacts. And like, like you're right. I think that's totally what they're trying to say is like, you know, Cordy would, uh, you know, not trust someone who like clearly has lied to her and would be more trusting of someone like Connor who is uh sort of brutally honest but i don't i mean and cordy like right from the beginning right right from like episode one of buffy Mm -hmm. is that brutally honest person too so i can even like see that sort of being like you know strip away the memories and you just have like her basic personality i can sort of see that being appealing to her except Mm -hmm that like she sees all of like her stuff like at angels like it's clearly her stuff there's pictures Mm -hmm. of her it's her yearbooks that are like signed to her like they kept all of her stuff safe for her Mm -hmm. she sees pictures like of her and angel and baby connor like together you know like there's lots of even even with the like I feel like you could get past the hey we didn't want to shock you too badly so yeah we didn't bring our green horned friend around mm-hmm. like to be the first thing that you saw precisely because when you saw him you freaked out and ran away like mm-hmm. like I feel like you can get past that okay I get it. Like, you were trying to, like, maybe spare me and, like, ease me back into the world a little bit. Like, it just seems a little too... And then you go from that to, like, sleeping on a pallet on the floor with gropey Connor. Like, you know, like, (laughs) I, I just find it, like, maybe a little too extreme mm-hmm. to have her like completely eschew the relative comfort and like s- seemingly like sincere if misguided like lies of you know mm-hmm. angel and crew for like you know this kid who clearly just kind of broke into an art museum or something and is like sleeping in a loft that he doesn't own and is a little handsy at night. So I don't know. Like I, yeah, like I get, I get what they're saying. I, Mm -hmm. I feel like even like, even given like sort of Cordy's clear personality trait for like straight shooting, you know, Mm -hmm. right from the beginning that it still seems a little too far fetched. But so I guess, I guess I would just say like, I mean, I don't know if that signifies anything, you know, about the character of her coming back or if it's or maybe it's just maybe that's just a flaw in the writing or the story itself. But um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of one problem I do sort of have with it is is it just seems like Cordy, who is still Cordy, just without her memories, seems like she would still choose to stay at the hotel and, and mm. like maybe 
with the understanding that like they told the lies, but they were the lies were told sort of in uh you know in the way that they were told it was sort of meant for her benefit, even if it turned out like to be wrong, right. you know, uh wrongfully done or, or misguided or whatever. Yeah. Sure. And I don't know that I necessarily, like, thought about it that way. Like, I don't know that her decision kind of rubbed me the wrong way quite to that extent. But I don't know. There's you know, something about... You know what it does it for me? Is gro- What's that? We, we have to talk about gropey Connor. It's like, <laughs> that, that's, I think, the thing that seals the deal for me. It's like... yeah. It's just weird. Yeah. And icky. Sure. Can I use that word? Like, is that a sufficiently academic word? Can I use mm-hmm. that? I don't know. What are your th- not Not to, like, prejudice you about it, but... Like... No, no, I don't. I don't disagree. Um, yeah. No. It, it, it. Yeah, and especially when you put it that way, that, like... Even if you can see her hesitation with trusting Angel and everyone else, it's hard to buy her complete trust in Connor. Um, you know, given given his, like you said, kind of shadiness um, in in various different forms that that takes. Um, more so you would expect her to just not really be trusting anybody if she doesn't know who to trust or what to believe then um then to kind of pick somebody kind of yeah gropey like you said um i don't know I mean, not, and not that she the, knows, like she doesn't know that till later right like i mean she when she first goes sure, but him, she, she stays with him but, at the end, right? And that's that's the thing right. that I think gets me is that she stays right. with him, right? Even after like Angel and team coming and fighting alongside her, and like you know trying to right. keep the other people away, and like like Angel never forces himself to like like he always backs away and leaves her alone when she wants to be left alone, and you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. like there's never a I don't know. Anyway, I, I've made my case, I guess. Um, I well, do want to come back to this conversation, like, further down from the season. <laughs> like, like, like... The groping conversation or the no, trust no, conversation? No, like, or... like, like, the whole situation here. Like, gotcha. Um, <laughs> Uh-oh. I mean, whatever. Like, we could talk about the groping, too, later. But, like, I just mean, like, the whole, like... When we see more about, like, Cordy who she is now Mm -hmm. and who she becomes throughout the rest of the season and whatever. And I'm not trying to imply like huge, like shifts in character or anything, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, as she gets more back into the world of things, like coming back maybe to some of this early stuff, I just want to sort of note it now. It's just hopefully to remember to talk about it later again. Um, Yeah. You know, some episodes away from now. Um, Mm-hmm. Just to see if it fits with, you know, what we know of her in the sure. rest of the season as it sort of unfolds. Sure. Um, and kind of just to 
like, I think there's a similar, it's not quite the way you articulated it, but throughout, um, the situation with Cordy, I don't, maybe it's just for this one episode because it's like the setup for whatever's going to happen next. But I don't know. The word that keeps coming to my mind is that it was a bit tedious in that, like, it, it, it kind of is like, even this theme of like, yes, secrets are bad. Like it's kind of hammering home something that we've seen multiple times. Sure. And, and, and not that like, not that reiterating an idea or a theme is wrong, um, but it's all in the execution. And um, I don't know, the, maybe the fact that she was just kind of regular Cordy, but without the memories and slowly learning things that we all know, um, you know, and apart from the kind of slight twist of the ending with, with Wolfram and Hart and Lorne, um, doesn't really change much about our understanding of her or the relationships or it's sort of like, well, she only goes with Connor because her memory has been wiped and she doesn't really know any better. Um, even if you feel like she should be able to figure it out. Um, yeah, it's just kind of, Okay. Watching it was sort of like, all right, I, like it wasn't the most interesting premise for sure. me to watch. Um, you know, and again, there are those episodes that are there to arrange the pieces in such a way that they'll have a purpose next time. So maybe that's fine. Um, not every episode has to be like the earth shattering, like big thing but um anyway um so yeah so she does decide to stay so that's a sh I mean that is a shift in like the the I guess blocking of things that she's back but not with the main group which is always great um always has really good results when people aren't together sure. um well, we see with well angel Wesley. exactly um speaking of wesley uh you like that segue he, he has a good that was nice and smooth um yeah he uh he kind of gets uh played in this episode. Um, so it starts with the, you know, him with Lila and they're getting more and more comfortable and closer and closer, just like we've been seeing the whole time, pretty much since they got together. Each time there's those little markers of how much, I guess, happier. Is that the right word? I'm not sure. At least content or comfortable, if not happy. Um, you know, and then they kind of specifically call that out in this episode with uh, it, he, like, loses a dollar because he called their relationship a relationship for the first time. So there's a kind of subconscious acknowledgement of commitment in a way. It's not just, like 
this angry, rebellious, bitter relationship that's done to like punish himself and get back at Angel and do all these things. It's like, if it's a relationship, then it means something. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the next day he overhears, they kind of betray each other, really. You know, like he overhears a phone call, which he reports to Angel. Um, and then she, it turns out that was the this, this setup to get him to do what she wanted so that she could sneak in the back door and get the information she was really after. Um, so they're kind of realizing that how much of it of a relationship is it really if each of them is still playing the other one. Um, sure. And so, yeah, so their trust isn't exactly in the greatest of places either. And it's like, you know, he's, he's angry at her and betrayed because she set him up. But then as she points out, like, isn't he really just sort of angry at himself for falling for it? Um, and then at the same time, it's like, well, how angry can you be really if, if he's taking information that he eavesdrops and overhears and reporting that to Angel? Um, how much of it is a, a true relationship on his part either? Um, like he's kind of in his way playing her as much as she is him. So they're kind of still pretty evenly matched, I guess. Um, but yeah <laughs> um. okay I don't know if there's any I mean I guess the only other interesting thing about that too is this like uh, uneasy alliance with Angel that's sort of continuing of they're not reconciled. They're not making moves to get the band back together. Um, sure. And yet, and yet whenever there's, whenever there's trouble, whenever there's a crucial piece of information, Wesley doesn't always share all the details with them, but he is looking out for them still. Yeah. Um, right. There's not, maybe a direct antagonism there. You know, maybe there's something like, uh, you know, fellow travelers or whatever, but they're certainly, like you said, they're not teaming up together. They're not like, yeah, bringing the band back together. Um, yeah, and I guess that just, I mean, you know, with the betrayal here from, Lila and maybe Wesley's own realizations of like what he was thinking right so this is maybe a situation where they might have started out on the same page but like are they still on the same page mm -hmm. like maybe Wesley has 
you know, moved a little further along than even he wanted to. Um, mm-hmm. and certainly more than it seems like Lila is. Although you get kind of the little grimaces or looks from Lila that maybe uh, maybe she's not as callous as she's leading you know herself on to be or leading no sorry leading Wesley on to think that she is too like I feel like there's one or two like Mm -hmm. looks there where she does feel like she's a change or or whatever Mm -hmm. so you know not that that stops her from doing what she does (laughs) but even she's like like doesn't she say like you know hey i didn't kill lauren so like that's something right like right yeah yeah you know because he's your friend so like right right look how i'm growing yeah um yeah which i guess is like a question like i mean i feel like the 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 relationship aspect of their of them being together probably is fairly genuine from each of them. But like you said, on the other hand, that's not stopping them from being on opposite sides and working against each other and even like using each other at times. Um, So, I mean, I guess that's kind of a question is what, what does it take to get to that point where potentially one of them is maybe willing to betray their own team I guess if you want to call it that for for the other person like you know are they moving towards the center um would Lila ever choose Wesley over Wolfram and Hart or would Wesley ever choose her over I guess Angel or just like the the good guys or the the powers that be in general um And I don't know. Like, we would have to see. But. Sure. Um, so I guess kind of coming up to the end, we wanted to talk about um, Lorne. Yeah. And, I mean, it's still kind of Cordy related, but the, the Lorne aspects of, of the plot. Um, after they let him out of hiding. um he gets a listen to her terrible singing. Um, and like flees in terror. Um, like not even like finishing his sentences or bothering to make an, to make an excuse and, you know, just gets out of there. Um, and yeah, I like the line about the, the big, Tummy crunching onion from hell. The more layers you peel, the more you cry. Um, that was funny. Sure. Um, so yeah. So I mean, we get these periodically of like, oh, there's a, some something bad coming, and we don't know what, and don't know when, or the specifics, or how it's going to happen. And even if we knew, we would probably be wrong because it would be a setup to be misunderstood and everything. Um, but I guess like, 
from what you kind of mentioned earlier, kind of set me thinking, like the most surprising Uh-oh. Did I spoil Uh-oh. something? I don't, not necessarily, but I guess what is the the most mysterious part of it so far is that what's the connection or the part that I'm curious about right now is like, what's the connection with Cordy? Um, you know, because like right. something bad is coming that's terrible and scary. Okay. Like that happens. Like we've had that before. We'll have that again. That's a fairly like regular occurrence that some big evil is about to happen. Um, but I guess the, the, the real question is what's the specific relationship of Cordy? Um, I mean, I'm thinking of your line about, oh, it's also Cordy's second coming. I don't think it's necessarily that like, I don't think it's necessarily that like, she's like the antichrist or anything, but like, but what's, it's not just Lauren has a specific, has a general premonition. It's like something that is specifically related to Cordy's, state of being or her future or whatever it it was that happened to her and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, no. And I think that's right. So this is like, like this isn't one of Cordy's visions, which are always like imminent danger. You need to go save someone now, whatever. Right. Like remembering like what Lauren does is, to see right, it's all about like, your path and your destiny. Yeah, and, future yeah, yeah. and, like, what is their path? What is their destiny? And there's something in Cordy's path. I mean, we don't, like, it could be her. Or it could be, like, something that affects her or something. Like, like we don't know what it is, right? Like, it, mm-hmm. it may be her. It may be, uh, you know, something that she meets. It could be something related to her somehow. I mean, he doesn't, he's so scared by it that he runs off and then later it's, you know, sucked out of his brain. So like, whatever those things are, um, but that's the, right. So that's the reference, right? The, the slouch is, you know, slouching towards Bethlehem, right? Like Mm -hmm. the, and what's interesting me, so the, the second coming, so, um, that poem, um, well, that line or phrase comes from the last line of the poem. Um, Well, the last two lines are, what rough beast is our come round at last, slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. So, like, if you take that sort of, like, those last two lines, like, you know, slouching towards Bethlehem, like, there's a clear, like, well, well, what is it? Like, and the the mm-hmm. poem doesn't answer that either, right? Like that's the question: is like, what is it? What is this thing? It's our come round at last. Slouches towards Bethlehem to be born, and so, um, of course, the context of of the poem is um, after the First World War, mm-hmm. and I mean, obviously, there's a lot of like war, you know, thoughts, and you know. Uh, uh, imagery or whatever there. But of course, I mean, there's also the Christian idea of the second coming. And the specific mention of Bethlehem there, of course, makes you think about not the second coming, but the first coming. And so it, so it's like, what is the... And I don't, I don't remember my revelations well enough to like 
recall if there's anything in there about like Bethlehem and a beast there or whatever but like those are the types of things that it does mm. have in there so like is there like you know we know that angel is sort of somehow played into the apocalypse is this an apocalyptic vision that Lauren mm. has and he's seeing now Cordy's involvement in that and so, like, is that part of why Wolfram and Hart wants it? Because, you know, they're always trying to get sort of more information about the apocalypse to determine is Angel a good player or a bad player, right? Like, is that, like, thinking about the broader stroke of the series, like, that's what they always want, right? They're, right? they're, they're trying to figure out, I mean, when they're not trying to kill Angel, they're trying to figure out what his role in the apocalypse is. And so is this, like, new information that they can apply to that. Mm. If they know what Cordy's role is or or what her you know and again, I I mean I'm not even saying that it is about the apocalypse, but I'm just sort of like trying to think of like mm-hmm. what Wolfram and Hart's like thoughts might be here. Like if they know Cordy's back and they know that like Lauren had some kind of weird, like strange, you know, terrifying vision they're going to want to know that because maybe that gives them insight into Angel. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like, she's now of interest in her own right, having been a higher power, and maybe there's more associated with that that, you know, they can pull out of Lauren's vision or whatever. Right. Um, but it's that it's that idea of that there's something coming, right? That there's a beast of some kind, and it's our come round at last slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. Like, you know, that there's a clock ticking somewhere. Maybe. Mm. And that while it's not like Cordy's visions and like, it's an immediate go help this person that maybe there's, Oh, I don't know. Say like 19 episodes down the road or something, you know, time to roughly get, estimating, like, just, yeah. just throwing that number out there. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. maybe there's there's a certain clock ticking here or, you know. Right, right. Um, it's not the near future, but maybe not quite the far future either. Right, um, right. When this, whatever it is that's slouching towards Bethlehem will right. arrive. Yeah, and I like the kind of twist of them not being going after Cordy, but going after the knowledge that Lauren has. Because it's like, it's kind of just so typical of the like, kind of cowardly aspect of Wolfram and Hart of like, like they don't really ever want to get more, get in too deep too quickly. It's like, well, you know, we don't really know what this is. We don't really, I mean, Cordy is a higher being or was one. So maybe we don't really want to mess with that. So we're not really going after her per se. And we don't want to commit ourselves to a situation that we don't really understand. So what do we do? We make a distraction and we'll go make sure Lauren's alone. And he's an easy target. Just like go and like suck it out of his head. And like that kind of like back dealing backdoor way of going around things is kind of typical for for them yeah um although they do manage to put a camera in connor's loft there right right sure 
even though they're they might not be looking to kidnap her, they're still keeping close tabs. Right. Yes. Well. Yeah. Yeah. But they they they're not like going to. They're not going all in on any one particular approach or interpretation. Right. It's more that kind of constant information gathering and and sifting through of different possible routes that this could be taking before like they actually do anything um because it's like like you said like well sometimes they're trying to kill angel a lot of times they're kind of not like most of the time it's like anybody that tries to get angel gets their right wrist slapped because like we kind of want him to be around to be a player, maybe cause the apocalypse, maybe be a force for evil within it. Maybe we can turn him bad, all these kind of things. So it's like, it's kind of like that. Like they're kind of really just stirring the pot and they're to like prod the, prod them and get information, but they're not necessarily like looking to bring the wrath of angel down on their organization. And, and and I mean, I said that sort of tongue in cheek, like you're right. Right, Like it's, it's, it was like, um, oh gosh, what was his name? Uh, uh, yeah, the guy who Lila's chopped his head off. But um, oh yes, uh, you know, can't think of his name either. Uh, you know, it's like the one-offs who are trying to like kill right. Angel. It's not. It's it's not like official Wolfram and Hart policy here. Policy, right? Right. Um, so yeah, no, right, I, I, and like their I, their official policy is very hands off in general, like, right. like, like or see relatively how this plays out because see how it plays out. We don't know, and I think that's right. So like that kind of fits with your information gathering, you know, uh, uh, theory as well, because like they don't really do anything until they know for sure, right? Like, and and they only act on the knowledge that they have assurance Mm -hmm. of. So like, like they know that Cordy's back and they know Lauren has like seen some sort of vision. And so they act to like get that vision, but they don't go any further than that until like, maybe they know what the vision is and can like decipher stuff about it. So they're not like, yeah, like should they take Cordy? Well, let's not do that quite yet. Let's see what Lauren knows first you know and and kind of that level of um right whatever so like with angel yeah it's we don't really know what's going to happen so let's just keep gathering data until we have a clear and then Mm -hmm. you know maybe once they know for sure then they'll try to kill him or recruit him or whatever whatever it is that they do um but while things are still kind of up in the air it's like well we'll just leave yeah. Yep. Um, well, anything we didn't really cover? I mean, I kind of feel like no, I think we hit we got, the points I wanted to talk about, but... I mean, I think we got everything. We, I don't think we need to um, talk about Lauren's other uh, guest... In this episode. Sure. It's no, kind it's of kind of side yeah. thing, but um, yeah, kind of a creepy, yeah, a creepy just, demon. And, but and I like, think just a way to introduce Cordy to the more supernatural yeah. stuff yeah. going on, and then kind of 
equate with that guy, like Angel and Lauren and the other stuff. Right. Um, yeah, no. Uh, but we'll be back next week to talk about some more Angel. Uh, yes. For now, we'll, we'll move on to BFG. Um, yeah, the ties that bind. Um, so, you know, interesting title, of course, right? Because, I mean, there's sort of the relationship aspect of that, right? Like the, mm. you, you know, um, marriage sort of being, right? Like you tie the knot and like all of that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, but there's also like the, you know, captive aspect of that as well right like the, mm-hmm. the you know being bound to uh you know your your cell or you know the shackles on your hands or whatever like like there's a prisoner sort of aspect to the idea as well um i don't know right right I, especially as that as the episode goes on right like how, yeah, right. To what extent is the title a reflection of her marriage to Tyrrell, maybe both in the positive and the negative aspects of that, of like, yeah. oh, well, like so, from like the, 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 the willing bonds of marriage of, of committing so yourself to somebody else. But then there's the kind of like, well, now you're stuck with this person aspect of yeah, it. Yeah. And what, and can you escape them but if you, I, but if I you think, want to? I mean, I, I said marriage. So yes, of course, like that, that's clearly part of it. But I think even you can talk through like several different relationships through here. Um, I mean, Starbuck and Sam talk about their marriage too. This so is like, true. like there's, there's that aspect of it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it also works with sort of the Cylons, you know, like mm-hmm. if there's a, not a marriage, but like a familial aspect that's, you know, I mean, the betrayal from last episode comes around right. and gets like doubled down on this right. episode. So like, right. you know, right. there's, right. there's Bonds multiple ways where and, that sort yeah. of, that thing, but like also kind of with each step, like, like those ties get severed maybe, but it also like in a way ties your hands, you know, into forcing you down a road that you may or may not want to keep going down, but you kind of have to because you're, you know, by cutting one tie, you're, you know, tying yourself to a different path in a way, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. to mix metaphors a bit there. Um, Anyway. uh, Yeah. Let's start with Callie, though, and Tyrrell and, and sort of all this stuff there. Because um, I feel like even though we go through a bunch of characters in this episode, um, she is sort of the primary one, I think, or at least mm-hmm. gets more screen time than most of the others. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, we start by seeing, um, maybe not for the first time, but certainly the most intense sort of like arguing and frustration that uh she's feeling um at Tyrrell always being gone and uh you know he's sort of saying like I you know they need me at the deck you know the hangar deck and everything and she's like well you know are you the only one who can hold a wrench or whatever um Mm -hmm. 
And I mean, you know, not a uncommon maybe argument among families, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially newly, you know, re- fairly newly wed, although they've been together for a little while now. Like, I mean, it's not like they've sure. been, it's not like they just got married or anything. Like they were, right. how long right. were they were on New Capra and stuff together? And, right. Um, right. So maybe like, couple what, of years. in the first like, like two or three years of their marriage or something like that. Um, um, and then. Uh, right. But like, I mean, it, maybe it seems like for all that New Caprica was terrible maybe their relationship was a little more harmonious there whereas like it seems the impression i'm getting is that coming back to the galactica put a strain that there's maybe the overwork and the not enough like the just the general lack of escape or downtime or other people to hold the fort or whatever it is is kind of increasing that well, That's well there's that. I mean, there's also the addition of a kid, right? Like, which is just going to naturally sure. have, you know, there's going to be more responsibility. And if one person is maybe not taking as much responsibility as he should, then, you know, maybe <laughs> that falls on someone else. And that wasn't like the genderless he. That's the very right. specific he. Right. Not to um, use specific pronouns. Here, right. But, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, the... And with the knowledge that we know, and which Callie finds out here, um, he's not always at the hangar deck, right? Like, he's at the bar. And not just at the bar, but, like, talking to his new friend, Tori. Which, like, before they were Cylons, did the two of them ever say anything to each other at all? Like, no, of course not. And Right, right. I, and why would they? Like, there was no opportunity or reason for them to talk to each other. Um, right. Right. And you kind of, you kind of imagine that we're folding all the super secret final or penultimate four meetings in with this too. That like, like you said, the absences isn't just the hangar deck. It's all these extra meetings that he's going to, that maybe that's the increased strain too, is it was already kind of hard before and now he has this whole other life that he's hiding and spending a fair amount of time. Right. Like the fact that we've gotten scenes like that every single episode to me implies that they're meeting on like a really frequent basis that like, sure. Yeah. You know, frequent enough. Whatever. Yeah. Right. Like it, like, right. And he's making excuses and, and lying to Callie about where he's going what he's doing so yeah definitely uh something that adds to the strain of of yeah maybe like maybe it would would be bearable if he spent that time with Callie or relieving her like taking Nikki so she can sleep or you know Mm -hmm. being even being there to just be the one to take care of the baby while she's doing other Mm -hmm. things you know like would be helpful um but he's not he's at the bar and right not just at the bar but lying and saying he's elsewhere um Mm -hmm. which is you know big part of the problem so um she finds him there of course and like 
I mean, like you believe Tyrrell, I think, when he says like there's nothing going on between him and Tori. I mean, other than mm. the Cylon stuff, but I mean, like right. sexually, right? Like, right, right. like relationship wise, like that. I mean, it's not like he's never been in a relationship where he didn't have to like hide it from everyone. As poorly as that happened, like that's literally this how the series opens, right? Like him right. and Boomer, like going off and doing it in like a passageway somewhere, mm-hmm. right? And so like. Like, I feel like he would not be doing that, like, in Joe's bar if, like, he, if there really was, you know, something between him and Tori. But you also get the sense that, like, Tori, with her maybe, like, newfound sexual liberation from having just slept with Baltar, like, Mm -hmm. she's kind of caressing his elbow and talking about maybe it's not a bad thing being more free and open and, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, you do kind of get the sense that maybe she's not quite hitting on him, but like suggesting mm-hmm. there could be, right? You know, things worth exploring or whatever. Um, and I kind of feel like with her, it's like less about. It's not even that she's like hitting on Tyrrell specifically or suggesting anything. It's that like, it's she's just like you said, liberated in general. And it's this newfound kind of sensuality that she has that like, yes, that's about like the sexual aspects, but it's also like, oh, now I have this newfound appreciation for ambrosia that I never did before. It's just all of these, like just general physical sort of sensations that she's having. And it's sort of like, is the caress kind of like, not even really about him as much as like an unconscious like she's just kind of turned on by everything (laughs) in a way yeah like she just seems to be like enjoying being her you know well Um, and i i like i don't in a way that comes across like it you know obviously when callie sees that it looks like a specific kind of tryst in a way that i don't i mean i don't know that tori would deny him necessarily but like is it really like she's... Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. Anyway. Like, I... I, I and I, I don't disagree that there's, like, there's double entendre there. Like, I you can read it on multiple levels. But I mm-hmm. think... I I think she would... T- like, if, if Tyrrell had responded, like, all right, yeah, let's go find a bunk. Like, she would totally right. be up for it. But I, sure. but I agree with yeah. what you're saying, too. Like, it's not necessarily even about that specifically. It's It's a more general openness and like right w- whatever joie de vivre or whatever you want to call it like that right there's... and that would be part of her openness would be probably not turning down any new experiences yeah. that happen to come her way right um, um but yeah i mean w- whatever like so uh, my only point there was to say that like i think i think we can believe Tyrrell when he says like there was nothing going on because, mm-hmm. like, from his view, there certainly wasn't. And, there, I mean, and there really wasn't. I mean, whatever Tori may or may not have been open to, like, not, it wasn't more than, like, talking in the bar. But right. there's the fact that he was lying about it and and lying about where he was and who he was with and what he was doing. And, like, right. like that's the whole, like, 
okay, you don't necessarily have to like sleep with someone to be in infidelitous. What what's the word to you know to ha- have infidelity in your relationship, right? Like mm-hmm. like there can be cheating without the mm-hmm. you know specific act of sex and you know whatever. So right, you know right, that's and what, like there is something going on with Tori. It's just right, right. There is something. It's right that they're Cylons and you know. Not even that they're like plotting, but just like hiding it from everyone and trying to figure out what it means. Like, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, again, it's not like it's necessarily bad. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just that they can't and won't tell anyone about it because they don't know what it means and what what they, you know, how others are going to respond and all of that. So there definitely is something going on. Um, and Callie knows that, but it's, you know, it's always that, like, I know there's something going on. And so, you know, I'm going to dig and dig and dig until I find it. And then it turns out to be something like for her way worse than even, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what it is that she fears it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, which. Well, she, right. And I think that's a, that's a good point is like, not that like there are a ton of like pro Cylon human characters, but like she's towards the the uh Cylon the anti Cylon end of the spectrum of like yeah you know like we she's the one that shoots and kills Boomer right um and like her sentiments all along have been. Like, there's no hint of any sympathy towards the enemy here. So, like, the fact that it's her husband that, you know, seems like a significant um, fact for the character and everything. Um, And actually, that's one thing I really um, think they did really well in, in this episode is without kind of, without kind of, like, vilifying Tyrrell necessarily um is the way it kind of shows her kind of reconceptualizing their whole relationship in this new light of when she finds this information out the way kind of they use flashbacks that are like nice things of like oh they're cuddling oh they're walking and he's being nice and all these things and suddenly that like looks menacing Mm. and is is scary and disgusting to her in a way that like it, those flashbacks obviously never were before. Um, it was always just a close relationship. Um, but like, and, I mean, the suddenly he becomes it, this like figure of terror, you know? Sure. Um, the irony of it being that like for Tyrrell, those, those actually were like nice moments. Like it's, he, right. he didn't even know like he was a Cylon and a lot right. of that stuff. So it's like, right. It wasn't like meant in the kind of like creepy yeah. he's using her or, or controlling her or anything kind of way. Um, although it does call back to like the, the, the wonderful birth of their relationship with him, like beating the sure. crap out of her. And again, like, not that he's not responsible for that, but it wasn't 
abusive in the sense that it wasn't about Callie. It was, it was, he was startled out of a nightmare and took it out on her. I mean, not a great way to begin your relationship like that, as she kind of says. But on the other hand, that again, takes on a new kind of menace. Mm -hmm. Like she was able to get over it before thinking it wasn't like she said to him, it wasn't you. I know you and, and you would never do that. It was a mistake. And I understand. Um, but like, do you still think that when you find out he's a Cylon, like, no, suddenly he becomes this like terrifying, abusive, you know, guy who could like go off and try to kill you at any moment. Um, and like, even the way they shoot it of like, how in that kind of tunnel vision that she has of how kind of high on all of her pills she is and everything like when he comes in the room and is sort of out of focus just sort of hovering behind her and you're getting like the mixture of her fear and her paranoia and like the cocktail of antidepressants that she's on um kind of combined to make him seem even more threatening than you know he should be or or normally would be Um, so yeah, uh, right. Um, just, sorry, just trying to figure out. So like you mentioned, you know, the breaking the jaw and like Pot Alaskar, you know, about that and everything. Um, mm -hmm. that's when she starts actually lying back to Tyrrell though, too. Mm. Did you notice that part? So like, um, after she sees like, coddle and she goes back and um i get well i mean i guess she's not really lying to him at that point but like there's sort of like a decision that she's trying to make right like when she's like got the baby and then like sets him down and it's like getting ready to leave like mm -hmm. seems like maybe kind of permanently like trying to figure out like what to do and that's when she sees the note you know that has mm. like the you know meeting place on it and stuff and she goes out to figure out what it is and sees Tyrrell and Tori and Ty like okay <laughs> it's like that's weird yeah yeah mm, I don't know about that but um right like Tori makes sense right 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 yeah so oh yeah okay meeting in a you know munitions locker or whatever like that's been done before um right by Tyrrell right exactly <laughs> like but then like yeah to see Ty in there like that's a wasn't expecting that and so of course Callie you know who is like the grunt like you know deck worker and like mm -hmm. being small, like probably has the job of like going in like to all the tight spaces and, you know, doing all the things that like the bigger lug heads can't do, um, you know, goes and is able to sort of climb behind and peer and spy on them. Um, so that's not, I mean, 
it's not like lying like she said something whatever but it is that like okay i'm gonna follow you like you're not where you're supposed to be or where you say you're gonna be like i'm not gonna be where you think i am and i'm gonna mm. follow you and like do you know so there is sort of like a turnaround there and then of course she hears you know the bomb drop of that mm. their silence and goes running back and like has to listen to him and like you know tells Tyrrell like oh Coddle didn't say I didn't even go to Coddle like I just thought I was sick and slept in it you know slept on it and like mm-hmm. now I'm fine like this is like she hasn't been able to get enough sleep in like months or whatever and like now she's suddenly just like in one night it's perfectly fine like because she mm-hmm. got enough sleep or whatever or not even a night like I mean if you feel like this is like a couple hours or something right like right. not even like whatever um, right and it's lying for the same reason that the silence are lying of like we don't know you don't know what they'll do if you tell the truth of what you know right like she's as afraid of him as they, as the silence are afraid of the humans that they're surrounded with of if we come clean, what'll they do to me? Mm-hmm. Um, which it actually, until you were kind of describing it there, it never occurred to me before that like, if it had been just Tyrrell and Tori going into the locker, she probably would never have found out because I bet you she would have been like, ah, I knew it they're together and I'm out of here. Whereas it like, maybe it's the addition of Ty that kind of makes her go like, all right, I have to hear what they're saying. Like, what could they possibly be talking about in there? That it's not just the two of them off having an affair that like, there's something bigger going on. And that's kind of what it seems like compels her to, you know, need to climb into like the air vent and, and hear the conversation. Um, so yeah, so she knocks, uh, Tyrrell out. Right, with a wrench, like, very good, like, knuckle-dragger, like, kind of right weapon of choice Well, there. and this is, like, in calling back to her comment about what, can no one else, like, use a wrench, right? Like, so there's a nice little right. yeah, symmetry yeah. to it, but, um... That's good, she knows how to use a wrench, right. yeah. Uh, grabs Nikki and, and just sort of runs. And so, I mean, obviously she's very scared. Um, and, and like takes his key which is like presumably like so he's like he's not an officer but like obviously he has access that like the average mm-hmm. person doesn't have right so like that's presumably why she takes it and airlocks being one of those things that he can access I guess mm-hmm. um, do you think she I, I don't I'm, I'm not sure of my own thoughts on this. So like, I'm happy to hear your thoughts, but like, do you think she is planning like in that moment to go run to an airlock and like throw herself and her kid out? Like, do you think that's like what she's doing there? Or do you think she just is more like running scared and doesn't know and just kind of ends up at Mm. an airlock? Like, I don't know. What are your thoughts? It's more like a launch tube, right? Like, it's like the the Viper launch. Right, sure. Um, Yeah. I mean, so I kind of of a combination of the two. I kind of feel like she is 
actively kind of suicidal slash homicidal in that moment. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's crucial that she's like way high. <laughs> you know, like I don't think she's in her in a clear mind yeah. at this point. Like in in sober, would she be potentially could be suicidal. I have a harder time seeing her like wanting to kill the baby too. I think that's more of a a product of the pills she's on that like I mean the no sleep and the pills and the stress and all this and I think like again I think that kind of disgust plays a big part of it the kind of idea not just of I'm afraid of Tyrrell and he's a liar and he's scary but like all those flashbacks to their closeness and their intimacy and the like oh my god I can't she's the like Cylon hater I can't believe I let this disgusting thing you know touch me like that and that the baby's a product of that too that like that he this is the child that is theirs and everything um so i think that combined with like that kind of like disgust aspect is probably like for me where the like suicidal aspect of it comes from Mm. so it's not just that oh he's scary i need to go report him it's that like I'm tainted by this relationship. Yeah. And then you throw you throw the meds on top of there and she's going a bit off her rocker, I think. Yeah. And that's kinda of like like the not C- like the other option is like running to like CIC and like right. telling Adama. Straight to Adama. And, like, yeah. Whatever. But then I mean Ty would be there, right? Or whatever. And and Sure, sure. Like, is there enough of a presence of mind for her to think, like, since I am on my meds, would anyone even believe me? Like, you know, I mean, we don't get any of her thoughts. So, like, it's hard to, like, know for sure. But Mm -hmm. I guess, like I said, I'm not 100% sure, like, in my own mind. And and that's, I mean, maybe that's what... And does it, like, is she so out of her mind that it doesn't even, like, occur to her, really, to, like, run and tell somebody? Is it just a purely like panic situation of of she's not even thinking beyond her own self and her own response to what she's found out um yeah so i mean yeah i don't know um and so you know it seems like like she's not really sure what's she's gonna do and then like Tori shows Mm -hmm. up right and like Mm -hmm. sort of convinces her to hand over Nikki or she like takes Nikki and like knocks Callie across like the way which right after this nice like talking her off the ledge like you know suicide negotiator skills and all that sure Um, but also like like this sudden like appearance of like super strength. Yeah. Um, and again, not that like Callie's big, but like Tori's not that big either. And like right. you wouldn't expect her to be that strong and like now has like Cylon strength. And mm-hmm. so that's the question is like, is this just because like now she like realizes she's a Cylon and so like can do that or 
I mean, I guess that seems to be the case. I don't, you know, whatever. But anyway, so. Um, yeah, I mean, it kind of, that's kind of how I interpret it. It's like you've untapped resources that maybe you didn't realize. But like, is this just more new experiences that she's kind of experimenting with? You know, of like. Right. Like maybe like, had she oh, swung this her is arm, a, she wouldn't have like hit any harder than she normally does so like yeah like maybe it was just an experiment to see like what would have happened and oh hey look i can throw people across the room now that's the thing i can do and the and the enjoyment of it too you know like oh these these new feelings these new sensations and this power that she never had before and Um, all that and then of course he goes and opens the airlock and sends Callie out. Um, and so now... Right. Yeah. What? Well, so... Like, I don't know that I have a conclusion or maybe just wanted to, like, open up the question or present it to you. Like, so she gives this speech about how, like, well, I don't know what we are, but we're not evil. Um, And then she goes and does the terrible thing that she was trying to convince us and convince Callie that she wasn't going to do. Um, and so like, I mean, from what we've seen of like, when, you know, Boomer kind of realized what was going on and then we see, you know, Tyrrell and Ty and Sam, like, it seems to me like, Tori is very much a different reaction to the rest of them in terms of like finding out she's a Cylon and kind of actively intentionally seemingly doing something pretty evil despite what she says um like whereas like okay Boomer shoots Adama but it's after like many months of wrestling with what she is trying to stop herself from doing. And then when she does it, she's kind of not even really conscious of it. It's sort of like this reflexive thing. Um, whereas Tori like gives this speech about how they're not evil and then airlocks Callie. Um, so like, I don't know, like, is this like a purely practical reaction of I'm doing the smart calculating the odds thing of this is the only way to stop other people from finding out what we are is this a kind of like is she reveling in the evil like she's reveling in all her other sensations like why does it happen to her and not to the others i don't know i'm just kind of i don't i just am pointing out i guess a difference between tori's reaction versus like yeah. every other Cylon that we've seen go through this process. Right. Right. Like we've seen enough of it now where there's like, there's like a psychological profile maybe of like, sure. It's like the stages of grief. It's like the stages of realizing you're a Cylon. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's different, you know, right. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I, it's hard. Like, I don't, is she Cavill-esque maybe in a way like in a like 
maybe she's right. Like they're not evil, but like maybe to her, not evil means like amoral, <laughs> like mm. like that. There's not like a thing as evil and good, and it's just this needs to happen, and so she'll do what she needs to do in order to have happen what needs to happen. If that mm. makes sense. Um, or yeah, maybe she's completely lying. Like I mean, right? Isn't that like that's the thing right like evil people are the ones who will say i'm not evil right well i i didn't do it well someone who did it would say that right like (laughs) sure does that tell you one way or the other no not really like because someone who's innocent would also say they didn't do it um right so you know someone who's evil would be perfectly fine lying and saying they weren't evil um even if they knew that they were um yeah I, i mean or is Tori just sort of like acting on instinct or programming or whatever and, you know, saying what she needs to say in the moment and not even necessarily planning ahead. And then when like the opportunity presents itself to like, I mean, you got to know that like Callie is now a threat, right? Like, mm-hmm. so does she plan like to kill her in that moment? I, maybe, maybe not. But when the opportunity presents itself, like she doesn't seem to hesitate. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, I don't know. I like, I don't, I think you're right. Like she's, she certainly doesn't seem as afraid of her, you know, newfound Cylon-ness as like some people are, or like, mm-hmm as torn by it um mm-hmm. and it makes you wonder so like talking about the feelings and the newfound sensations like that's what baltar described her as as having an abundance of feeling mm-hmm. right like an abundance of emotion and that's why she cries during sex because she feels so much and so now she's applying that to everything right like mm-hmm. She also has an abundance of rage and an abundance of capacity to lie. And I, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't like you could apply that maybe to a bunch of, a bunch of things that she does in this episode. But um, yeah, like, I don't, I, none of that, like, I think all of that is in support of your idea there. Right. And I don't think it's necessarily like, I mean, if we're going to treat the Cylons as individuals, then we have to allow them to have different responses to each other. So it's not necessarily a, a oh, problem yeah. like, that she reacts differently than anybody else. And this is, um, this in is, some ways, that's their humanity, is that they're not all the same. They're, sure. They have. But, like, yeah, she's she's overwhelmed by her new uh, identity in a way that the others... Like overwhelmed in the sense of completely being consumed by it and not being resistant to it at all, really. Well, um, and she, so Tyrrell says, you know, I'm not good with change, right? Like Tori is the opposite. She mm. she likes the change and is totally one of those people who are like, you know, change is good regardless of what it is, you know. Right. Whether it's good change or bad change, it's all good. Like, <laughs> right. Um, Whereas Tyrrell right. would just rather have things be like simple and mechanical and straightforward. 
Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, all right, so we should probably move on and talk about some of the other characters a little bit, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about Roslyn and then Lee. Um, and they're kind of together in several scenes, but like initially you get Roslyn getting her, you know, cancer treatment. Um, and Adama coming in to read her. How sweet. Mm-hmm. How sweet. Um, even though <laughs> then we get like the weird thing like, after, so I'm jumping ahead, but like after mm-hmm. the conference, right, where like she's like mad at him for like sending, you know, Starbuck off without like her approval yeah. and, and knowledge. Yeah. And stuff. So it's just kind of funny. It's like how much of uh, Adama reading to her while she's getting her cancer treatments is just like simple, like, you know, absolution or not absolution, but like uh, penance, I guess, for like, sure, you know, doing something he shouldn't have done. <laughs> sure. Well, and I mean, that's I mean, a very simple. Is this way the like? It. I don't think it's hundred percent that or anything, but there's sure. there might be like an element of that a bit. Right. Well, and I guess I see it like as like, here's the kind of like mom and dad of the fleet aspect of their relationship of like those couples that are like know each other really well that can on the one hand be in an argument about something and then also be capable of setting that aside in the moment if like the other one like needs something. Sure. Um, Like you know, and there's that kind of thing of, well, we disagree about Kara and and this mission and what we're going to do. And we can have completely horrible fights about it, even like a day or two before. But if Rosalind is sick from her cancer treatment, then they can set that aside long enough for Adama to kind of stop by right. to to read to her. And then they'll pick up the argument like the next day, like when they see each other, whatever. Um, And then there's also the like connection back to the beginning of when they met each other and he lends her a book. Right. And, and this, this shared interest in like detective, like hardboiled noir detective fiction and everything. And that's the kind of like, like, Oh, it's like, right. right. (laughs) What encapsulates their relationship better than that? Right, like Capica City was my mistress and my all this stuff of like yeah, like kind of this like silly kind of I don't know, like very nineteen forties oh yeah, you know yeah, Raymond like, Chandler sort of Raymond yeah. Chandler kind of thing, yeah. Um so the yeah, that he like knows that and just whether is this the first time or whether this is a regular routine, I'm not quite sure or whatever, but he kind of knows he can just bring that in without preface, just sit down and start reading from it. And it's a distraction for, you know, the hour. Um, I I assume that it's the first time just mm -hmm. because one is the beginning of the beginning, but like also like she doesn't seem to like expect it. Hmm. Um, and maybe you're right that if it's maybe this is a kind of apology for their 
certainly for that particularly nasty argument that they had. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is his like peace offering of, well, you're sick in the hospital. Let me come in without, well, we don't have to apologize or talk about it. We can just, he's just sure. doing a nice why gesture. Would, why would of. you do that? Why would you talk right. about things? Well, and when they do later, they keep arguing about it. Like right. she's still saying like, the, oh, this mission and, you know, I'm, I'm covering for you and I'm going to be covering the whole time. And I can't believe you did this and right. all that. So yeah. um, it doesn't mean that they have changed their positions, but there's like agree to disagree aspect to it. Like sure. of, okay, well, it doesn't have to completely derail our ability to work together or be together, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, be together like are they at this point i mean that's sort of the question right like i don't know yeah probably depends on who you ask i don't know we don't well i just asked you well i don't know i i mean i know that i've i feel like I, i i've read or seen interviews where like the two actors were on different pages about that (laughs) like Mm. In, Which in, isn't in, uncommon in actual relationships. Right. Either. Like, so in in Edward James Olmos's mind, there was some sort of uh, consummation or open acknowledgement back on New Caprica even. That, like, the when they got high and looked at the stars, that, like, sure. there was, like, you know, more of a, like that there was scenes we didn't see, I guess. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. Um, whereas uh, I think DVD extras, maybe. Yeah, exactly. The cut scene has hit the cutting room floor, but, um, like for, um, Mary McDonald or maybe for the writers, it was still more of a like flirtation. It's in the air, but nobody's really, said or or done anything openly at this point so i guess that leaves it up to the sure. to the viewer to determine i don't know i mean i guess maybe that's more where personally where i like is kind of like it's sort of like in shows if you don't see like the dead body the person's not really dead like you know they're coming back i kind of feel like when they if they hook up, we'll see it. Mm. And until then, it's still kind of a nebulous, hypothetical kind of thing. So, sorry, Edward James almost, but I disagree with his interpretation there. Pat says you're wrong, so. And so that's the end of that that argument. That's, that's all I have to say about that. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, so that's Roslyn. Well, we talked a lot about the book thing um, and all of that, but um, we kind of glossed over like the the PR episode there. Um, mm. But I mean, it's just sort of the accepting right his new position. Um, mm-hmm. And then, like, it gets turned around to, like, Rosalind having to answer, like, all these questions. Which, you know, I mean, 
Right, that's like all anybody wants to talk about is what, right. where's the Demetrius? What's it, what's it doing? And yeah, um, and that leads to that. But uh, so Lee though accepts uh, the appointment to the quorum. Mm-hmm. Appointment, not it. It wasn't a vote. Mm-hmm. Um, which I felt like maybe I was wrong, but I thought weren't weren't aren't they like. Maybe this is like an interim appointment for some reason, right? Like someone mm-hmm. stepped down or died or whatever, and so now like he's appointed for the rest of the term until like there's a vote or something. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, and so you get like Zarek, you know, coming to him with some like helpful advice, right? Yeah, um, which. You know, I mean, if we've learned anything about Zarek, it's that he always has uh, the best of others in mind. Yes. Um, So, yeah, I mean, maybe not actually the best advice, but uh, he sort of hands him like this. Here's a classified thing that you should know about and totally bring up in the next forum meeting. Um, you know, uh, yeah, talks about, you know, Rosalind's, you know, directives, reading like decrees and, you know, uh, how she won't let records be made and, you know, like the meetings and this and that. And, uh, right. The, Sarek, Sarek just wants to drain the swamp. That's all he wants to do. Right. Like, I mean, all of these things are like. Yeah, what happened to the Zarek administration? Oh, right. You mean when we had a secret council assassinating people? That, yeah. you know, happened? Yes, that kind of transparency. Um, yeah. That's right. That's the transparency that he would have, <laughs> right. uh, Roslyn, you know, that he would hold Roslyn's administration to. Um, yeah, right. I mean. Which kind of perfectly encapsulates the kind of hypocrisy that you find at the executive level, doesn't it? Like, Sure. You know, like, like that you can have, you know, Rosalind and Zarek saying completely legitimate criticisms of each other that are also true of themselves. Right. Without, like, any sense of irony. Um, you know, or, like, shame in what they're saying. Like, they're absolutely feel conviction in what, in the, the criticisms they make of each other. And yet, yeah. you know. I mean, now, Zarek, probably the worst of the two, not putting them on the same level necessarily, but like, you know, yeah, he's not exactly all for transparency himself. Um, And yet, like, the implication from Rosalind's behavior in the quorum meeting is kind of that she's also being sneaky in the way that he's accusing her of being. That, like, she kind of does have that slightly self-righteous sense of I know what's best and so maybe I'll sneak in a few executive orders that are in my favor that will help me get the things done that I think need to get done and and has that you know Zarek's quote reminds me of or, or his line reminds me of the C.S. Lewis quote of like the worst kind of tyrant is the one that's for the good of the people, you know, that like, oh, she wants to save us all. And that's like the worst thing because she'll do anything to save us. And, and, 
you know, there's, there's legitimacy to that, but at the same time, it's coming from Zarek. So mm -hmm. like you have to take it with a mountain of salt too. And, like, Lee doesn't really do anything about it until she, like, starts kind of pissing him off. And then, <laughs> right. like, well, that's... he's not going to say anything until she, like, you know, zings him in front of the press. And then it's like, oh, like, well, if you're going to play it that way, then, yeah. Yeah, well, and so, right, she kind of gets a cheap shot in. And, mm -hmm. I mean, the the interesting thing to me about that is, like, like she talks about, like, well, when I want, you know, a junior delegate to, you know, um, be my spokesman. You know, some about being, you know, being her spokesman. And it's like, well, wait a minute. That's exactly what you at one time appointed Lee to be for you. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he was like her liaison to the military and like kind of her spokesman for a while there. Like, mm -hmm. it's not like, and... Like, what was really that objectionable about, like, Lee's, you know, comments? Like, he was trying to, like, bring a, uh, you know, certain amount of, uh, understanding, like, trying to, like, resolve, you know, between, like, her position and, like, the other people, like, in the room. And it's like, was was there anything that he like actually said that was like all that bad? <laughs> right. Um so yeah, anyway, just kind of that that thing of like she she ends up sort of shooting herself in the foot um mm -hmm. with the treatment of Lee there, but also like you know, shows her I mean for as much as like she tried to like She's come a long way, I guess, from, like, education secretary is where sure. I'm going with that. Like, like this, like, she's playing the political game. And not that, like, yeah. like, we sort of have seen flashbacks, right, with her and, like, um, the ADAR, you know, stuff. Right? Yeah. Um, so it's not even, like, she didn't have any political game before that, but, like, there is a sense where it's like she's really embraced her role as president at this point. Like, mm -hmm. um, she's not Miss right. Madam, you know, Education Secretary anymore. Um, right, which I think this is the first time we see like a quorum meeting, right? Like, we've seen like some yeah. debates and we've seen like press briefings. Yeah, and, no, this is definitely like, the first, the first like messy, like, getting business done meeting that we've seen. Right. And, and yeah, you do kind of see her in a new light, or at least it's not new for her. It's just new for what we're seeing. And you do see like her, uh, comfort and proficiency with kind of manipulating the room and, and being politic in her answers and, you know, the kind of passive aggressive way that she has to go about it. Um, so, yeah. So it's kind of like a new, a peek into this other world that we haven't really seen before with her. Mm -hmm. 
Um, all right, so we gotta move along if we're gonna like talk about yeah. the rest of these. So, um, Starbuck and the Demetrius. Um, I don't mm -hmm. know that there's a ton to say here. I feel like, sure, yeah, we're just yeah, it's a lot of it's, setup. It, there's sort of yeah, we're sort of like checking in and you know getting a little bit of info with her, but um, yeah, a lot of it is maybe like you said some setup and and stuff. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, she's not sure where they're going. Um, everyone knows it, like, yeah, kind of including her, except she won't admit it. Um, mm -hmm. and so you get sort of like, like, I love like how irritated Gata just looks, like, he doesn't even really say anything, or yeah. he might say like one or two words, but like. Right. He doesn't nothing, have to say nothing anything. substantive there from him. And he just kind of gives her a look like, come on. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. And so. We're right. Well, like, and their relationship isn't great at the best of times. So sure. Then, like, like, to then be kind of dragging him around, like, they're out just driving around in circles, basically. Right. Um, um, and you get the sense that he's not one of the ones that Sam implies volunteered <laughs> volunteered no <laughs> um, no no actually it made me kind of wonder did anybody else volunteer except for sam right like is like, sam the one that volunteered some, for this mission? some may be a little generous with that right. statement yeah right right uh which actually made me wonder about athena like because i could see her volunteering because Hilo's going and so she'll go sure. to like support him or is she brought along as like Oh, she'll be useful in case we like run into Cylons or something. Like, right. As like the the token Cylon, like you know the token resident Cylon. Like, oh, she'll be like handy to have. So like, I mean, she doesn't seem very enthusiastic to be there, but I could see her volunteering purely for Hilo, not necessarily because she like. Sure. Certainly, none of them believe in the mission. Mm -hmm. Um. Not a, like not a lot of true believers. I mean, like even Sam and Hilo, they don't really defend the mission so much as they defend like right. Starbuck. It's more like like Sam is trying to get Starbuck to like talk to them at all, which she's not, and then Hilo is just like telling everyone to shut up. Like he's not even really arguing for the right for well, like the like oh this is a smart plan. It's just like. Literally, his job is to like to stop everybody from like just bitching all the time and and from mutinying, like sure, which is where it could be headed, you know. Sure. Um. Right. Right, and I like too that like they mentioned the like that this is a sewage ship, and just like how it contributes to how pissed off everybody looks of how like just sweaty and grimy yeah. and disgusting everything is that like. This is not only is it kind of dangerous and pointless, but physically it's just miserable as well. Sure. Um, right. Like, are they running the sewage, like recycling as well? Like, does that have to like keep going? Like, do they have like a ship full of sewage that they have to be processing like while they're right, right? You know, looking for this other stuff. Right. I that I don't know. So yeah, fun times on 
<laughs> the Demetrius. Um, It'd be a spinoff. My God, that'd be. I. I feel like it would just be of, a lot of episodes, like the five minutes or so we get here. So maybe not. Right. Yeah. Sure. A bit. A bit. Probably as boring to watch as it is to like be there. Although, like, Celix um, could be like the comical character, right? Like, she would be. Sure. The... Um, I don't know where I was going with that. I did, it, it's not a developed idea. No, I'm not creating a pilot. This isn't the sitcom, like, odd couple scenario of, like, people having to live together who like right. hate each other and have nothing in common. <laughs> I mean, it would, it would be that, but not, but would it be sitcom. funny? Right. Yeah. No, it's more the like no exit thing of you're trapped in a room with people. It, what's, for... Is there like, is there a sit drama, like a sit drama, <laughs> like situation drama? I don't, I don't know what, uh, I don't know what like that, that would be. I mean, I guess, is there any, like, <laughs> this is way off of our discussion. I'm going to rein it back in before I even ask that question. Um, <laughs> all right. So Cavill and the, uh, the other Cylons. But I'm kind of mostly going to talk about from his perspective because I feel like he's the one driving it um, yeah. in a way. Um, so Resurrects, uh, speaking of pissed off, right? Uh, the Sixes yeah. have lost their minds. They have no idea the threat they've unleashed. Um, goes Which, oh, wait a minute and it's like it just occurred to me like does that line mean like the centurions like oh you've 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 taken away the inhibitors oh, from these dangerous things I, or is that like us like, I totally I'm read a threat that. and you've let me off the chain yeah, I totally read that as talking about like he's like he's uh the oncoming storm right like like sure that's that's how I read it, like for himself, mm -hmm. as you know, saying you they have no idea like who they've messed with, mm -hmm. right, um, right? But like you could, yeah, like the centurions can reason now, and like they're the centurions can reason, and they're still using them as like slave labor. So like, right? So which, like they still order them around; they just have to like say please now, <laughs> or like. Oh, you're much stronger and your hands don't get tired. Like Right, right. <laughs> um Right. It is so it's kind of it's kind of both, I think. Like yeah. Yeah, she's I mean, unleashed. It, it definitely could be that. But I, I I've always taken that as like Cavill like talk referring to himself. Like mm -hmm. he's the threat that they've unleashed. Um which, you know, is what comes to play later, basically. Right. Mm -hmm. But I mean, so between that though they go to the base star cavill goes to the six and others base star right so so it's was it six eight and what's leo number i think he's a two two okay um and like negotiates and they demand the unboxing of diana mm -hmm. um the D which is interesting they don't use her number Right, she says the Deanna models. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't even know what number is she. Do you know? 
off the top of your head? Uh, I think she's a three. Um, presumably thinking that she would agree with, like that model would agree with them. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. otherwise, why would they ask for her unboxing? But um, Cavill, you know, does some ferrying around and then comes back and says, oh, surprise of all surprises, you know, I was voted down and everyone agrees with you. So, hey, let's meet up in this faraway place that is out in the middle of nowhere, away from all the resurrection shit. Um, well, I mean, he says they're going, they have to go like, oh, I left the backup, you know, over there in that other part of the universe. So um, <laughs> we have to go over there in that part of the universe where nobody can see us and um, right. get it. Um, right. And it's that good con technique where he can't say like, why, how about you guys go get it? It's like, it has to be her idea. So he's like, we'll go get, you know, we'll go unbox her. And, and it's Natalie that's like, well, maybe we'll take our ships. And that's the, and he's like, oh yeah, that's fine. Good idea. You know, like, so it's, yeah. she thinks she's being careful um, by, by going herself. Um, right. And it's playing into his hand obviously and then there's um the curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal moment right uh <laughs> uh just remember they started it he says yeah uh they can trust their god to watch over their immortal souls and then boomer well what about ours we're machines dear remember we don't have souls like right right again right that, this is amoral machine cavil yeah right Right. Well, and I mean, Six is the one who's saying, like, I'll pray for you and all of that, right? So it's like, right, they can trust their God to watch over their souls, the God that doesn't exist and the souls they don't have. Like, right. you know, that's sort of where he... But also, he's he's the one saying, any more discord and we may run out of spare bodies. Like, I don't know, like, how serious he is there. Like, is there a limit to the spare bodies they have, or do they just like keep recycling things? Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things I, I thought about here was because like he's talking to like the hybrid there for a bit, right? Um, mm -hmm. And like I kind of wonder why like the hybrids don't put a stop to like the ship to ship destruction. Mm. You know, like you've got like like because I kind of feel like. All right, they've considered the Raiders and they've considered the Centurions, but they don't really like. There's no like mutiny of the hybrids in this. Mm. Like, like yeah. the, you know, like the maybe they are like the parents that like the Cylons don't have, right? Like, right. We're, we're the adults here. And no, I'm not going to like fire on my sister hybrid ships. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't happen. They no. do. They do fire. Right. And destroy. And yeah. I mean. Yeah. There you go. Right. So like the agency of the hybrid is I guess kind of an ongoing question. Um, sure. Like they're certainly aware, but to what extent are they in control of their own 
like decisions and and can or are they willing to like step in and defy orders and and all that um but that's i mean that's the same discussion of like the raiders and mm -hmm. the centurions too right is that like the raiders are becoming that independent um you know through yeah. the growth of their experience and brain power or whatever and like the centurions have it but are inhibited until the sixes at all take them off you know the inhibitors off and so mm -hmm. yeah like yeah I, we i guess we don't know to what extent the hybrids are but it would seem like they i don't know i guess maybe there's Maybe they're just not able to do that or not. I, it just seems like one of those things where, like, you could have, like, they don't even really address it, I guess, one way or the sure. other is kind of where I'm going with that, when it seems like it would be a good time to do so. Mm -hmm. um, sure. But yeah, so that happened. Um, yes, right. So, like, from. I mean, like, so Natalie led this rebellion against Cavill, but all they really did was sort of shoot them, but they, you know, they resurrect anyway. So she's kind of, like, making a point in a kind of violent way, whereas he fires back with the resurrection ships far out of range. So, like, not just trying to get the the other half of the silent population under control, but to actively wipe them out. Um, so it's kind of, yes, like what the sixes do is, is violent, but Cavill's is more truly murderous, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Boomer is, uh hesitant but sticking by him against all of her sisters like she's the lone eight model that's mm. with the cavils um you know which i feel like we kind of glossed over last time the maybe because it's too gross to touch but like this weird relationship between boomer and cavil like boomer has a lot yeah. of issues sure. and you know, and, and she's had them for a long time, but they're kind of manifesting in interesting ways. And one of them is this romantic relationship with, with Cavill, um, which is what she's doing. It's kind of weird, but. So we've got, um, Gropey Connor and Voyeur Cavill. In the, <laughs> uh, I guess Voyeur Cavill was really last episode, but. Um, sure. You know, we didn't talk about it. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know. Right. I don't... And and kind of, she struggles with it, but, but trying to embrace his philosophy of, of the soulless machines. Like, she's been so burned by her experience of failed humanity that it's like, yeah. well, then we'll I'll be the best machine I can be. Um, and dissociate from all that as much as she can. So she's kind of going on this, pushing herself as far away from her old humanity as she possibly can. Sure. 
Well, we'll see if she can keep it up, I guess. Uh, next time. All right. See you then.